Hi, I'm Jonathan Edwards, and I want to welcome you to the Jed Breaks Bread podcast. My goal in this podcast is to teach the truth of the Word of God and apply it to our lives that our orthopraxy might be as good as our orthodoxy. May you be blessed. Well, Merry Christmas to everybody. I hope that you are uh, doing something that is fun, traditional, enjoyable this year. Uh, 2020 has been a year of uh, disappointments in a lot of ways. You know, we, through COVID, have had to sacrifice many of the things that we normally enjoy doing. And, you know, that's just got a lot of people feeling down. And I understand uh, just from watching the news media, you know, just the general news media, that there are many people, many voices telling you to be careful when you celebrate Christmas this year. And maybe maybe you're in a situation where you really need to do that. But I tell you what, you should really consider, and you should have a conversation with your parent or grandparent who's older, how many more Christmases are they going to get to have, really, with their loved ones? Would it be harder to not celebrate Christmas this year? Would you regret it if between this Christmas and next Christmas, they, they unexpectedly died. Would you regret the fact that you didn't celebrate with them? You know, I don't know the answer to those questions, but I do know this. I think it's very incumbent upon us to think through these issues and weigh out the cost of investing in one another's lives versus the cost of perhaps staying healthy. And I'm not saying to sacrifice your health, but I am saying that you really need to consider the the mental ramifications, the spiritual ramifications of isolation. There's a reason that the church is supposed to be a community. There's a reason that the church is to gather together because community strengthens the individual. So anyways, I hope that you do something fun for Christmas this year. We're going to be having a Christmas Eve service at the chapel. Um, we are really looking forward to that, to provide something to look forward to for our church when many things that we normally do have either gotten canceled or uh, been unable to do. So just consider that, okay, as you get ready to celebrate Christmas this year. Really sit down with your loved ones and talk through these issues and decide what's, what's the best long-term play. And maybe for you it is having Christmas alone. Maybe you're your loved ones would say, you know what, I'd, I'm willing to risk catching COVID-19 in order to spend time with my children, my grandchildren, perhaps even your great-grandchildren, because I don't know how many days I have left on this earth. And it's true, we don't. Only God knows the number of days that we have remaining. So I know that was a little bit of a, that's a little bit of a serious, like super serious introduction, but I do hope that you have a wonderful Christmas. Remember that we are celebrating Christmas because it is Christ's entry. It is a reminder of Christ's entry into this world as a human being. When the Holy Spirit came upon Mary in a unique and miraculous way and put inside her the God-man, Jesus Christ, and he was born for a purpose, and the purpose was to be a sinless sacrifice, and he died upon the cross, shedding his blood to pay the price for 
my sins and your sins and the sins of everybody who's ever lived in this world. And we owe everything to Christ if we are his. You know, the best part about the story is that Christ didn't stay dead on the cross. He was raised by the power of God the Father three days later, conquering death and sin once for all. And we know that even in this broken world, even in this sin-cursed world, one day we will be set free from not only the power of sin, but the presence of sin through Christ our Lord. Wow, what a great, great message to believe, and what a great hope that we can celebrate this Christmas season. All right, without further ado, without any more introduction, we are going to get into the topic for today, and we are looking today at the speech transformation of wives. So, In our previous episode, we looked at the speech transformation of husbands. Today, we're going to be looking at the speech transformation of wives. And I would say this, wives uh, or women in general typically struggle more with speech issues than men do. Or Maybe that's not even accurate. Maybe the more accurate thing is to say that women have very specific speech issues that they struggle with. And they need to work hard to sanctify those areas and to overcome sinful speech patterns. One of the main challenges that women face, Christian women in particular face, is overcoming the flow of our culture. What do I mean by that? I mean, our culture tells women that they are to speak their mind, they are to speak out, they are to be heard, they are to be believed, Uh, that women basically can do no wrong when it comes to their speech. And this type of influence or this type of communication from the culture to the individual really has the opportunity or a possibility of causing a great deal of harm to the individual. Because you begin to think, well, I can't say anything wrong. I can't sin in my speech. The culture is telling me that every type of speech that I commit is good speech. Everything that I say should be listened to, it should be believed, it has more weight because I'm a woman and women are more valued in culture. My friends, my sisters in Christ, you must be willing to swim against the tide of culture. You're never going to get out of the river because we're all in the river of our culture. We're not, you know, we're not leaving America. We're not leaving Western civilization. And maybe you live in another country uh, that has maybe different pressures upon you, and you're listening to this podcast. Ladies, you need to recognize that you are not going to get out of the river of your culture. But you need to do the best that you can to swim against the tide of culture. You need to go against the grain of our culture. Our culture says, in, at least in the United States, that women are to compete with men. They are to make their voices loud. They are to make their voices uh, resonate. They are to reverberate. They are to be bold. And there's nothing wrong with speaking truth and speaking truth boldly. But consider, just for a minute, ladies, what has God called you to do? Did God make you in the garden, in, in the, on day six, when God made Eve, did God make Eve to compete with her husband or to complete her husband? 
That's a very important distinction. And we know from the Word of God that your purpose is to complete your husband, not to compete with him. And so wives, the very first aspect, the very first command that you need to wrap your mind around when it comes to your speech transformation is that you must be aware of the effects of the curse on your speech patterns. You see, your desire as a woman is going to be to rule over your husband. That's your desire. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, Paul, or God, Paul, no, Paul wasn't alive back then. No, God says that part of your curse for being deceived and eating the fruit is that your desire would, instead of completing your husband, would be to compete with him by trying to rule over him. Now, how's that going to happen? There are very, very, very few wives that I know or have met or seen on television or the internet or whatever who are stronger physically than their husband. Most women, the vast majority of women, are not going to overpower their husbands with physical force. So how do you do it? How do you practice this curse? How does it manifest itself in your life? Well, I would say the way that it manifests itself in your life is that you will use your words to emasculate your husband, to beat him down, and to get your own way. You are going to use your words as a weapon against your husband. And that weapon will have an effect long term. It may not be immediate. It may not be sudden. But over time, your words will act as a weapon and just wear down. It's like, um, you know, when you consider erosion, you know, the, the water that runs down a mountainside over time creates channels that provide less resistance for the water. And wives, you need to recognize that your words that come from a place of desiring to rule over your husband those will wear little channels in your husband's life, in his heart, in his spiritual and emotional well-being, and he will come to realize there are some things that are just not worth fighting about. There are some ways that he is just not going to be able to lead. There are some things that he is not going to be able to change. And he comes to that position after many years of being worn down by the words of his wife. This, in this very illustration is used in the book of Proverbs when King Solomon, one of the wisest men who ever lived, in fact, the Bible calls him the wisest man who ever lived, he uses an illustration very similar to this one to describe, to describe the words of a contentious woman. Proverbs 27, 15 and 16. A constant dripping on a day of steady rain and a contentious woman are alike. He who would restrain her restrains the wind and grasps oil with his right hand. You know, it is not easy to restrain the wind. It's just basically impossible. 
because you cannot contain it. And the same thing with grasping oil. You can pour, in this case, that would be like olive oil. You could pour olive oil into your hand. And what does it do? It doesn't matter how you, how you cup your hand or how you position your hand. The oil will run out of the creases of your hand and down through your fingers. And eventually it's, it's all over the floor and there's just a very thin coating of oil left on your hand. Solomon is pointing out here that the constant quarreling of a woman is like this dripping. And the constant quarreling of a woman cannot be restrained by anybody except herself. You see, the person who's receiving the quarrel, the person who's on the receiving end of the woman's words can't stop her, just in the way that he can't stop the wind or he can't stop the oil. So the the power to restrain your speech ladies, resides in you and you alone. You must be diligent to not exercise your speech as a way to practice the curse that God has put upon you. And this is a constant and continual battle that you will face throughout your life. And why? Why? Because we are all under the curse of sin. All of creation is subject to the curse of sin. And What God said to you, ladies, about the curse is that your desire would be to rule your husband, and you will figure out a way to do that, and women have typically figured out that speech and sex are the two ways that they can control a man. So wives, be mindful. Ask yourself, is my speech designed to control and rule my husband? If so, am I competing with him or am I completing him? That's a very important question to ask yourself. That's a very important way or or truth to meditate upon and consider about yourself. You know, if you find that this is something that you struggle with, don't become despondent or discouraged. Just ask God to give you strength. Ask God to help you have the ability to recognize when you're sinning against your husband in this way. Now let's move to the second aspect. The second um, way that wives can transform their speech. And this is directly related to the first one. Because the first one was all about ruling your husband with your speech. And the second command is about exercising self-control and restraining yourself from what you say. Now this really comes from a more general section of scripture. It's not specifically directed to wives, but I want to make an application, okay? Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and, and self-control. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. It is a virtue. It is a characteristic that you should be able to grow in. I believe there are many Christians who are very undisciplined and they they give up on discipline or being self-controlled because they it's just too hard or it's too difficult. Or there's a lot of reasons why you, you give up on self-control. Maybe they don't think it's important. But God says that one of the seven fruits of the Spirit is self-control. Now, we're going to make the application here that this self-control, ladies, is to be applied to your speech. So here is the connection. 
Ladies, it is with speech that a woman often reveals and discloses a maybe a hidden rebellion, or perhaps it's even an open rebellion against her husband. And again, this, this rebellion is one of the effects on the curse that is specific to women. And when you are tempted to disobey, ladies, you must keep control of your speech so that you don't dishonor your husband. Do not belittle him. Do not emasculate him. Do not uh, criticize him unnecessarily or in such a way that you break or crush his spirit. If you want your husband to lead you, you cannot second-guess his leadership at every single turn. He's going to make decisions and do things that perhaps you're not uh, always super fond of. Perhaps it's not the way you would do it. But if you continually criticize and cut down and degrade his leadership, he is going to stop being a leader. It's like the illustration of the channels of water running down the mountain. They cut deep gashes in the mountain. And when a problem arises, like a flood, that's where all the water goes. All the water goes down the mountain like that. What, what do you think happens in real life situations? When a problem arises, hey, you've already gashed the side of the mountain for him. He's like, you know what? There's this problem. Let's just let it have the path of least resistance. I'm not going to take my responsibility. I'm not going to do my leadership. I'm not going to practice leading because I know that I'm just going to get verbal blowback from my wife. Now, all I'm, all I'm saying now is to be aware that self-control and personal discipline must be applied to your speech. Don't think that I'm suggesting that a woman can't have an opinion in the home. Don't think that I'm suggesting that a woman ought not to be able to share frustrations with her husband, uh, frustrations not only with how he's perhaps parenting, but for how, he, how he's leading. There is a, a right time and a right place for a woman to express all of those things in the home. And I believe that in an earlier episode, I tried to make that clear. What I'm talking about specifically here is wives weaponizing their speech to take charge of family situations. Wives must be careful not to weaponize their speech and practice self-control so that they don't undercut their husband's authority within the home. Again, your goal is to complete your husband, not to compete with him. That may mean holding your tongue in front of the children if you think he's made a bad decision. Uh, in a previous episode, I, I talked about this a little bit, like, hey, What's the impact of one bad decision versus watching, you know, the children watching mom and dad have a, a big giant fright, fight in front of them? I think personally that the impact of watching the fight and watching a mom and dad tear each other apart with their words is much more impactful on a child than a, a discipline or a parenting mistake that's made kind of in a just a day-to-day -day life situation. So, ladies, what do you need to do? Well, I think you look to the example that the Holy Spirit has provided in the woman Sarah, Sarah Abraham's wife. In 1 Peter 3.6, 
Peter writes that Sarah acted with all submission towards Abraham, even calling him Lord. Now, in the Greek language, this is a present participle. This relates, or this means that her general, everyday attitude was one of respect and submission. It was her continual attitude. It was the attitude that she primarily manifested when she talked to him or approached him. She also, notice, spoke to her husband Abraham with a tone of reverence and respect. She did not degrade him. She respected him. Now, did Abraham make great decisions all the time? No. No, you can go back and read his story and see some of the poor decisions that he made. But despite Abraham's sin, Sarah continued to call him Lord. What does that show? It shows that she's honoring God by calling her husband Lord and respecting his authority, even though Abraham has made bad decisions or sinful decisions. Now, that's a very, very important point to remember. Wives, you must remember that your speech must honor God first, even if your husband is somehow unworthy, if he is uh, in a sin pattern, your speech must honor God first. And to honor God, you express honor and submission to your husband. Now, I'm not suggesting that you need to go home and start calling your husband Lord or Sir, but I think you need to adopt that mentality that my husband is a Lord. My husband has been given to me by God to be an authority. My husband though he is not perfect, is the person that God has placed over me as an authority at this present time. And if I'm going to honor God, then I need to honor my husband. All right, so wives really consider the aspect of self-control. I think wives could demonstrate honor and respect to their husbands by restraining what they say and refraining from speaking words that demean, cut down, and emasculate your husband. You can demonstrate far more respect by restraining what you say than actually by the words that come out of your mouth. Although it's true that the words that come out of your mouth need to be respectful. But much can be accomplished just by silence. And that actually takes us to the third point that we are going to make about the speech transformation of wives. And here we are going to turn to a a very well-known passage in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, uh, really verses like 1 through 4. But um, this is a, a idea or a concept that is totally fallen out of favor in our culture. And so remember when I talked earlier about going against the grain of the culture or or really swimming against the tide of the river that our culture is flowing. Wives, for you, this is going to be a major, major aspect of that. And so 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 says this, In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, 
braiding of the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. Now, this, we must acknowledge, okay, that this passage is speaking primarily to women who have unbelieving husbands. I believe that that phrase, disobedient to the word, has its first application towards husbands who are unbelievers. And that communicates an important truth that whether your husband is a believer or an unbeliever, God expects women who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior to act in a certain way towards their husbands. But I would say that there is a a principle that is found here in this passage that every wife should be willing to put into practice in their marriage. And that is this. Submission to husbands ought to be expressed through silent but respectful behavior. The greatest tool that a wife often has to affect change in her husband is silence. Now, I'm not talking about the silent treatment. That's not what God is talking about here. He's not giving wives the A-OK to perform the silent treatment and stop talking to their husbands. But what God is talking about is, if your husband is in sin, note, disobedient to the word, if your husband is in sin, one of the ways that you can affect change is not by repeatedly bringing that issue up over and over and over and over again. One of the ways that you affect change is by being quiet about that and having a behavior and an attitude that is reverent, that is chaste, that focuses on the submission aspect of your relationship. I think that Peter uses an interesting play on words. He says, is your husband disobedient to the word? Then win him without words. A submissive attitude is a powerful testimony when it is expressed through our physical actions. Consider this. A submissive attitude is a powerful testimony when it is expressed through physical actions. You know, if you were to watch maybe some older films, you would, like older movies from the 70s or 60s or maybe even earlier, you would see maybe the main character. He would be like the strong, silent type. Maybe he doesn't speak too much. But you can tell by his actions. You can tell by his actions that he is a man of purpose and a man of intent, a man of honor and integrity. And oftentimes, like in the good guy, bad guy, Western or or whatever it might be, he wins out in the end because it is through his actions that he proved himself to be true and reliable. Now, that may be a, a little bit of a stretch. Maybe you don't watch those types of movies. I don't really watch a ton of them, so I can't really point to one in particular. But all I, all I bring that up for is to help you realize that even a godless culture, which is what our culture is, it's a godless culture, recognizes that a submissive attitude which is expressed through actions can have a powerful result. You as a wife 
when you demonstrate submission by not speaking, but doing the right thing according to the word of God, you are demonstrating that you trust in the Lord for both the outcome and the method. In other words, you are entrusting yourself to God's unconventional method to bring about the result that you'd like to see in your heart. Now, this is tricky, you know, because we're tempted to use it as a manipulation tactic. God is not using it as a manipulation tactic. But what happens? The power of a life lived according to truth is a very convicting testimony to somebody who's not living according to truth. When you live according to truth, and it's evident that your actions and your attitude are reflecting and imitating our Lord Jesus Christ and the truths found in the New Testament, that has a strong ability to convict other people. You've seen it probably in your own life, in various job situations that you've had, maybe because you're a Christian and you don't act like everybody else, they're like, what? why are you so different? Or when somebody actually has a, a deep spiritual need, they come and talk to you about it because, hey, you're different. There's something unique about you. Um, this is how God affects change in people. This is God's method, not man's method. I would say that this method is effective for those women who have stuck with it because it is the method that God prescribes. Now, perhaps you, you have a husband who is very caring, gracious, kind. He's willing to listen to you. He's quick to change. And maybe you've never had to really put this into practice. That's okay. You may have an opportunity to put it into practice someday, or you may not. But the fact of the matter is, if you get into a situation where your husband becomes stubborn, where he's not listening, where he is being disobedient to the word, use this method, because this is the method that God prescribes. And I'm sure there's probably a woman or two listening to this who say, well, I've tried that and it never worked. Okay, here are some questions to consider. How long did you try? A day? Two days? A week? Were you willing to go three weeks, a month, six months? God doesn't give a time frame on how long to do this before the change happens. It could be indefinite, and you need to be prepared for it to be an indefinite period of time. So, if you've tried it and it doesn't work, consider how long did you try? Another question to consider is, in what areas of life did you practice this? Did you, did you do this only in the area that you wanted him to change, or were you willing to adopt this mentality and this attitude in all areas of life equally? I don't know the answer to that. Only you can answer it. And a final question that I would ask is this. If you don't think that this method works, what does that say about your trust in God's design for relating with your spouse? Do you think God's design is broken? Do you think God's instructions are incomplete? If you don't think this works, that says more about your trust in God and your relationship to God than it does about God and his method. You really need to consider those three points of objection if you say, well, I've tried this and it doesn't really work. All right. Well, I think this is enough for this particular episode. I hope that, ladies, I've given you something to 
consider. Um, you know, there may be some other things that I, that you've thought of or that you've struggled with over the years that that you want to bring to my attention. You know, leave a comment or or message me and let me know, and I'll try to address those in a future podcast episode. But in just my examination of the Word of God, these three things that we discussed today seem to be major players in helping women to think and act correctly. All right. God bless you. If you enjoyed this episode, please give it five stars. Um, That will help other people when they're searching for podcasts in Amazon or Google or wherever, uh, Apple. It'll help them to be able to to find this particular podcast, and they can be uh, blessed as well by these truths. Have a wonderful Christmas. God bless you. We look forward to seeing you in the new year.